Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Okay, now you've talked a little bit about, uh, we've talked about the existence of of the synagogue and the growth of Messianism. Now another dimension that's very important in thinking about being a Jewish believer is the whole I would say double combination of persecution and anti-Semitism, and I'm going to put them side by side um, because on the one hand there is the reaction of many people that that Messianics are Jewish, and so the anti-Semitism comes in. But then there is from the Jewish side, at least from a significant portion of the Jewish side, that you're not really Jewish. So explain the life of a messianic in that tension. Oh, that's <laughs> uh, that's very like yeah. You touched a very painful uh, area uh-huh. for the messianic movement. We got to defend the right of our existence as messianic Jews to, on both uh, in both sides. Mm-hmm. We need to we need to show or just we need to defend before Christians that we are to exist mm-hmm. as the Messianic Jews, as something different, distinct, in unity mm-hmm. with everybody else, but still something distinct, what is important in the divine plan. And at the same time, we need to uh, prove uh, the right of our existence as the a Jewish movement to our fellow Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually the Orthodox uh, Jews would say, well, the Messianic Jews, they are Jews, they are Jewish, but sort of like sinful. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are wrong. Mm-hmm. They are like, they are more or less like uh, in false teaching. They believe so they're in false ethically me- Jewish, but religiously Heretical, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, for Reformed Jews, we are not Jewish, uh-huh. Huh. Uh, and uh, it, there was an, uh, there was an interesting discussion I had with uh, with Reform Rabbi just recently. Uh, I was told that I'm not Jewish. That yeah, Jewish well, people let, don't. Let, I was going to allude to this later, but you've brought it up now, so okay. let's go after it. You you were in a meeting in which you were. I think explaining to people uh, how to share with their Jewish neighbors, et cetera, and in attendance was a, a rabbi of um, one of the rabbis at, at the I think it's the largest Reformed seminary in the city, synagogue yeah. temple, yeah, Man, uh, in and, the nation actually. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Uh, and it's it's literally located almost across the street from where uh, my kids went to high school, and that <laughs> high school was nicknamed Hebrew High. So uh, um, so. Uh, uh, for those of you who are in Dallas, that's Hillcrest, and so, um, and, and so, uh, you know, so this is not an insignificant conversation that's taking place. And so, you are you're sh- sharing how to share with Jewish people about their interest in Yeshua and Jesus and that kind of thing. And 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 this rabbi speaks up, and I'll let you pick up the story from here. Okay, good. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it was uh, it was actually event uh, entitled Jews and Christians talking together. Okay. So it was like social in gathering event to discuss for Christians and Jews to talk together about some uh, uh, some things and issues that we uh, share. Th- share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like for example, this uh, time it was entitled uh, 
standing against rising anti-Semitism and mm-hmm. how Jewish is Christianity. And yes, we had a number of Jewish people in attendance and the rabbi of this uh, reform temple. And uh, I was told that I'm, uh, I'm not Jewish because I believe in Jesus. And I, uh, and by the rabbi. Yeah, by the yeah. rabbi. Mm-hmm. And uh, my, my response couldn't be based on the Bible, mm-hmm. because in Reform Judaism, uh, it's not necessary that what was there in the Bible uh, centuries ago is uh, relevant uh, for today. Mm-hmm. So we, we take from the Old Testament, from the Torah, what is appropriate for today, mm-hmm. usually the position. But there is something, uh, there is something different what uh, what is important for the Jewish for the Jewish people mm-hmm. uh, these days particularly in the United States it's like a marker of Jewish identity the Holocaust so mm-hmm. what does it mean to be Jewish more than 70 percent of the Jewish people in the United States say remembering Holocaust mm-hmm. so I I had to address this issue mm-hmm. so I I told you know what makes my, uh, what makes us all Jewish is that reform, Orthodox, conservative, and Messianic Jews, Catholic Jews, mm-hmm. Evangelical Jews, mm-hmm. will go to the same gas chamber. Mm-hmm. So what makes us all Jewish is the concentration camp and the, hmm. and the gas chamber. Hmm. Because when the Holocaust comes, when the trouble comes, it's not what we Everybody's believe in. Everybody's included. It's not what we believe in. Mm-hmm. It's who we really are, according and, and, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jesus. And in making that picture, you're actually making a point not just about the past, but you're making a, a point about who is vulnerable to anti-Semitism even today. Uh, we, uh, as a Jew in Berlin, I, my life was threatened a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares mm-hmm. what I believe in. If mm-hmm. somebody hates Jewish people, mm-hmm. I'm a Jew. Mm-hmm. They don't care about differences between us. Mm-hmm. That's a, it's an interesting response uh, and an interesting observation. And it shows the delicacy, I think, of what it means to be Jewish. Uh, because, again, I think some people think they don't think of Judaism and being Jewish, particularly in ethnic terms. Sometimes they think about it exclusively in religious terms. And the term is actually broader than that. Yeah, that's uh, that's very true, and let me uh, let me point to something in my personal story in mm-hmm. this regard. Uh, for me, as I mentioned before, being Jewish was just a matter of destiny. Mm-hmm. It was something unavoidable. Mm-hmm. I'm born a Jew, I will die a Jew, mm-hmm. and it's like struggle. If you remember Fiddler on the Roof, mm-hmm. uh, Tevye was complaining, "If you needed a nation or mm-hmm. needed a people, why, <laughs> why us? <laughs> why yes. us? Yeah, yeah. Why, not, why, <laughs> yeah. why not somebody else?" Yeah. So it was my attitude, my mm-hmm. me. Uh, I consciously became Jewish mm-hmm. after I believed in Jesus actually. Mm-hmm. Becoming a Messianic Jew, starting reading the Bible, I understood my calling, not just my destiny, mm-hmm. but also my Jewish calling in this life. And your roots in many ways. My roots. Yeah. And for me, I discovered uh, the Christianity, even as the Jewish sect of the first century. Mm-hmm. It is. So for me, it was like coming home. Mm-hmm. And uh, being Jewish makes sense for me today. Mm-hmm. Like, 
years ago, before I uh, I became uh, came to believe in uh, Yeshua and Jesus, it was not making much sense. Mm-hmm. It was destiny. Hmm. After it became calling, I became more observant as a Jew. Mm-hmm. After I became a believer, so I stopped eating like uh, pork and seafood. Mm-hmm. After I became mm-hmm. a believer in Jesus, not because I'm legalistic or under the law, but because I consider that as part of my calling and my and my covenantal fidelity together with uh, the Jewish people. Now I have I have two topics I want to be sure and cover before we wrap up. So I'm going to deal with them first. We've we've sort of introduced it anti-Semitism, but uh, give us your take. I'm asking you to comment on the kind of the messianic experience in various parts of the world. Give us your take on what is happening with regard to anti-Semitism, particularly in in Europe today. Well, it's uh, it's getting bad, mm-hmm. uh, and as I said, we moved there 20 years ago, and Germany is probably the most or the safest haven for the Jewish people today. Because of the Holocaust, because sensitivity uh, to the Jewish people, because the political sanctions, because just because the politically and on, lev- uh, on all levels of society, Germany tries to protect Jewish people from any kind of anti-Semitism. But even in Germany, over the last uh, tw- 20 years, I experienced a dramatic change. Not even talking about other countries mm-hmm. where the anti-Semitism was strong even uh, earlier, but the anti-Semitism is rising uh, in Europe, I would say due to a couple of different reasons. Mm-hmm. One of them is uh, very uh, strong uh, strong Islam, mm-hmm. uh, Islamic influence, immigration from uh, Middle uh, East uh, with people coming to the countries with uh, their embedded hatred toward uh, the what Jewish people. What percentage of Europe is, is Muslim today? Well, uh, do you know? Um, I know it varies from country uh, to country. Yeah, it's it's pretty, it, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty big. I mm-hmm. mean, it's not like uh, every second is Muslim, but yeah. uh, just if in Germany, I would say probably like 7%, okay. although I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, it's just uh, like yeah. a number that I could right. set together thinking of, of like 6%. Because uh, Turkey thing. is a country for Germany much like Mexico is for the United States in terms of immig- the way immigration patterns happened and the way in which certain labor was undertaken by a certain segment of the population, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But look, if, uh, if, the, if to take the school where uh, our do- uh, that our daughters attend in Berlin, mm-hmm. every third or even possibly every second in the class mm-hmm. is a Muslim. Mm-hmm. It says something about big cities mm-hmm. uh, particularly. Uh, and I'm not talking now about Islam, mm-hmm. I'm talking about the hatred to the Jewish people mm-hmm. that is brought from uh, from the Middle East and also from uh, uh, the countries that are affected. By and, this. and it's kind of a two-edged sword on the one hand because you've got this, the you've got these, you've got more Muslims in the country, but you also have these European countries developing some sensitivities towards their towards the Muslim immigrants who are in their country and with an awareness of how they view certain issues, et cetera, and that ends up being pushing back on the Jewish population in the, what's left of it in, in Europe. Yes, but uh, let, me, uh, let me also elaborate on this a okay. little bit more. Okay. Uh, so the 
the immigrants mm-hmm. they are not uh, they are not inculturated enough to understand even in Germany the sensitivity right. regarding Jewish people so they are not uh, they are not adjusting to the culture and dialogue in the society right. they bring their anti-semitism immediately to the to all possible expressions mm-hmm. also what we see in France it's Uh, even more uh, yeah even yeah. more but yeah. it's because uh, they are not adjusting to the uh, to the European sense of tolerance right. uh, democracy and and stuff but at the same time after the Holocaust European society was very careful with the Jewish people mm-hmm. even in general mm-hmm. and even regarding Israel mm-hmm. just Israel uh, was the country for like weak oppressed and persecuted Jewish people and to there was survive a shadow them. of guilt about what had exactly. taken place yes. exactly exactly Today, uh, in the last 20 years, I saw that completely reversed. Now the Palestinians are weak and oppressed, mm-hmm. and the Israelis are uh, militant and uh, strong and ugly mm-hmm. because of that. Uh, so the society in, uh, in Europe in general getting anti Israeli more and more. uh, The further away we get from the Holocaust, the more we're losing the memory of it? Absolutely. Uh, that's 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 the key. Mm-hmm. So uh, the memory is lost, and the uh, and the card of the Holocaust just the, for play mm-hmm. is uh, already not playing mm-hmm. as it used uh, used to before. Now the at- attitude against Israel is often considered not as a part of anti-Semitic attempt, but it serves. To influence, uh, just to influence the anti-Semitism, to infuel it, to make it, uh, to make it uh, even uh, stronger. Because in the minds of people, Jews and Israel are attached to each other. Hmm. Every time there is war in Israel, a war with Gaza, the anti-Semitism is coming to the new high. Hmm. So it's uh, anti-Israeli sentiment brings. Uh, more of anti-Semitism. It's related. And so uh, one of the examples is after the uh, attack in France on the on the uh, on the French newspaper, um, there also were reprisals against Jews in 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 France uh, and, and pressure on Jewish communities in France. And uh, my understanding is is that uh, that they're actually if if you're a Jewish in France. I mean, it even got to the point of people removing their uh, their uh, uh, what the thing you put on the the doorpost um, uh, that uh, identifies you as a Jew. Yeah, the mezuzah. Um, uh, even pulling those off their doorpost so that they're not identified as Jews, so they might not be subject to physical attack. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's like uh, Jewish people becoming mezuzah indoor uh-huh. houses. Uh-huh. So mezuzah is inside, uh-huh. not uh, on the outside. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, every sign of uh, of a Jew uh, in Europe is uh, brings a danger attached to that. So I was I'm wearing my kippah all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at first, uh, like even years ago, like 15 years ago, I was walking with my kippah on the streets mm-hmm. of Berlin, and then uh, my life was threatened a couple of times because of that. Mm-hmm. So it took a miracle for me to stay alive and healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, my wife. 
convinced me or pushed me to wear a hat <laughs> on the top of it. So that's what I do because yeah. every uh, evident uh, sign of belonging to the Jewish people uh, in Europe brings a danger. So that's where the practice of wearing the hat came from. I actually, that's a, <laughs> I didn't know that. That's a that's a new story for me. Well, I'm wearing a hat that is more like stylish. Yeah, I know. Not like I know. Jewish. Yeah, I know. Yeah, no, I've seen you in a. I've seen you in the equivalent of what we would call a baseball cap here. And I've seen the the European cap that yeah. is very stylish. Exactly. So I, so you you've done you've done it well, <laughs> but uh, but anyway, I didn't I didn't know that that it was part of the story. That's interesting. Um, but it shows how serious things are. It I mean, is. Uh, it it um, you know this is not this is not a theoretical anti-Semitism that we're dealing with. It is there and is real. It is mm -hmm. people feel it and are impacted by it. That's very true. Yeah. That's very true, and it's growing. Mm -hmm. This episode is brought to you by the Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. So. Yeah. Well, the last topic I want to cover before we wrap up, because our time is slipping from us, is um, is uh, helping uh, – I mean, this has kind of been a factual podcast in many ways, getting people oriented to what is messianism and, and how it works and that kind of thing. And I kind of want to divide this last ten minutes into kind of two parts. Uh, one is help people who are not messianic, who are Gentile. Uh, understand kind of where messianics are coming from on the one hand. That's what I want to do first. And then I want to talk about how do uh, – obviously, if you if you meet a messianic, and particularly if you're a believer, you have something in common you can share and there's a way to connect. And, and even though there might seem to be differences uh, in, in practice and that kind of thing, there there is a core unity there that, that – that one can work with. Uh, but then the other hurdle that some people have is, how do I share with my Jewish neighbor? Not Messianic, uh, that kind of thing. So I want to kind of take those in turn. So first let's talk about relating to the Messianic. What should the average person who's in a church appreciate about Messianics? This is kind of an opportunity to, say, to discuss the value of, of, of the space of being a Messianic, of being in that space. Hmm. Well, it's a good question. It's too little time to yeah, respond to that. <laughs> yeah. To say it precisely and briefly, Jewish, uh, the fact that there are Jewish people who believe in Jesus as Jewish mm -hmm, people, mm -hmm. as I said, it's important part of uh, eschatology mm -hmm. and times. 
It's a uh, it's important part of ecclesiology. Mm -hmm. It's important for the church. It's very encouraging. It's an evidence that uh, Jesus is the Messiah, mm -hmm. because uh, God never rejected His people. There is a remnant, and God is uh, the God who is faithful to His covenant. That's what we read in the Book of Romans. Uh, Paul was writing. Just uh, God never rejected his, uh, his people. He is true to the covenant he made. He is the God who keeps his promises. And uh, Paul was saying, as a Jewish believer, I'm, uh, I'm like witness of it. I'm testimony. I'm evidence. And there's continuity with the past that what you believe in, it, you sometimes hear the phrase that a Messianic is a completed Jew. And the idea is, is they are participating in promises that God has always said, this is the direction the program has been in. Jesus is the Messiah uh, uh, of Israel, and that's part of what's being embraced. Right. Uh by the way, be careful with the word incomplete, a Jew yeah, talking yeah, yeah, to yeah. the Jewish people, yeah, because right. nobody wants What's to be incomplete, incomplete yeah. <laughs> considered incomplete. Right. But uh, Jesus fulfills the calling of Israel, mm -hmm. and in Jesus, Israel fulfills its calling. Mm -hmm. So, uh, looking at seeing a Jew who believes in Jesus, somebody can rejoice because he sees an evidence of God's faithfulness, His existence, the reality of God's working in this world. And I'm not trying to say that Jewish people are more important, better than anybody else. We're not worse uh, than others <laughs> at the same time either. But uh, it just, it's just something what God gives as an evidence mm -hmm. of His faithfulness and His existence. And in order to see that there are Jewish people who believe in Jesus, the Jewish believers in Jesus has to have to make themselves visible. Mm -hmm. And the Messianic movement, Jew, Messianic Jewish movement, mm -hmm. because there are many Gentiles mm -hmm. who like to pray uh, to play Messi yeah, uh, Messianic. Yeah. I don't. I'm not talking about these guys right, right. with full respect. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, in, uh, in order for people to see that, they need to see the Jewish believers. The, the Jewish believers in Jesus, we need to make ourselves visible. And the Messianic Jewish movement is a visible expression that is needed. So your point here, because uh, I think it's an important one, is not so much to – it isn't that Messianics see themselves as being so different that they need to stand out and and be distinct and saying, oh, we're better than you are. It's mm -mm. it's it's the issue here is we are expressing who we are um, and where we have come from and where we still feel connection with, and that connection goes back to promises made all the way back in Genesis 12. Absolutely. And, and the flip side of it is, if I can move the time machine in the other direction is, if we think about Romans 9 to 11 and what Paul has to say about the continued commitment of God to his people, the fact that one day a mass of Israel will be responding and that there's always a remnant that exists in the midst that's a proof of which Paul is the proof of it, um, uh, that all that is a way of saying, as well as the statements in the New Testament about the body being made up of Jew and Gentile in one body, not with the idea that everyone gets homogenized. 
but with the idea that in the midst of that diversity, you actually see visibly the reconciliation that God has brought between people. Absolutely. Um, all of that is at work in in as a as an explanation and to some degree a justification for why messianics exist and why they should be appreciated. And it's uh, and it's. It has to come from two sides. Mm -hmm. So the Messianic Jews, we need to appreciate the, Christ, uh, the Christians, mm -hmm. and Christians need to appreciate the Messianic Jews mm -hmm. for our unity to be visible in appreciation of each uh, other. That's uh, that's very important. Because ultimately, this is one body of Christ that we're talking about. Absolutely, mm -hmm. and uh, this and the body of Christ, as we see in the Bible, it is it is a unity. Of Jews and Gentiles, mm -hmm. it's a unity with diversity built in. Exactly, it. Yeah. absolutely. So it's unity of Jews as Jews and Gentiles as Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And so we see, just to play this out a little bit, although I wish we don't have near the time we we don't have any time to, to develop it. it. And so you see discussions in the New Testament about certain people whose practices still remain aligned to the, to Jewish practices on the one hand for for uh, Messianics who are part of the community. And then you see other explanations that say that people who choose uh, not to live that way are also to be so – you're not supposed to fight over those things um, in a way that, that, uh, that gets in the way of the inherent unity that we all have with one another. I would say we are not to fight about it, but we are to engage each other in a healthy dialogue and a healthy debate. Mm -hmm. Just because I, I I love to debate and argue, <laughs> so if we can respectfully That's very argue, too. That's yeah, right. exactly. So don't, we don't need to talk just about things we agree on. Right. We just we can share our disagreements and. We can complement each other mm -hmm. by disagreeing and arguing uh, with each other. And reflecting on the conversation. Exactly. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that takes care of one part of the last piece that I want to cover. Uh, and now, in the remaining time that we have, what advice would you give to people? I know you do this all the time, and you talk mm -hmm. about this topic all the time. And in fact, we could probably do a whole podcast on it. In fact, we probably should plan to do that uh, one way or the other, whether by Skype or when you're back would in Dallas. Uh, but uh, in kind of an initial way, what kind of initial suggestions would you give to the person who says, you know, I have a Jewish neighbor, but I'm just not sure how to even start the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, what advice do you have? Uh, Jewish people, there are two words in this uh, phrase. Mm -hmm. Jewish and people. Mm -hmm. Jewish people are people. Mm -hmm. They have the same needs as everybody else. Mm -hmm. They get sick as everybody else. Mm -hmm. They have challenges in life uh, and family problems as everybody else. Mm -hmm. They have teenage kids as everybody else <laughs> can have. They have uh, they have fear of death as everybody else. Uh -huh. So there, there are people mm -hmm. the same felt needs mm -hmm. as uh, as everybody else. So thinking of the Jewish people, think of people. So with, in, with in some ways, don't let the don't let the Jewishness of the person you're interacting with so get in the way of the way you interact with someone that you don't interact with them 
fairly well, normally. You need you need both. Uh-huh. So first you understand that they're just people. Uh-huh. They they don't have special horns somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So they they're people with uh, with the same needs. So they need Jesus and his help and his assistance in their life the same as everybody else mm-hmm. does. And they struggle the same as their Christian neighbors in uh, in times and they rejoice the same mm-hmm. as their Christian uh, neighbors in times. Another word in this uh, phrase is Jewish, mm-hmm. and it makes them uh, sort of special. Mm-hmm. Special because uh, because of their relationship with Christian uh, with Christianity mm-hmm. for oh, for more than a thousand of years. Mm-hmm. So, like I would say, probably like for at least 17 centuries, uh, if not more, church was pushing us to convert to Christianity. And mm-hmm. converting uh, to Christianity meant that we need to stop being Jewish. We need to abandon our people. We need to abandon the covenant that we uh, have with God, becoming Gentiles. Mm-hmm. So uh, the no-go for Jewish people regarding Jesus was developed over the centuries and centuries. So that's why uh, that's because one, uh, it inherently not only meant a religious move, but it almost meant a move of denial of identity. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Primarily, yes. it was not about right. belief; right. it was about identity. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and also, what is special about uh, Jewish people is the fact that Jesus is Jewish. Mm-hmm. He is the King of the Jews. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, he is, and he is coming back as the king of the Jews. Mm-hmm. Uh, apostles are Jewish. New Testament is a bestseller of a Jewish literature. Mm-hmm. It's the most published, printed, and uh, given away uh, Jewish book ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not just New York Times bestseller. It's all times <laughs> bestseller. Uh, and uh, so the... Uh, at the same time, the gospel that we preach is essentially good news for the Jews. Mm-hmm. It's in, in its essence, it was proclaimed to the Jewish people and by the Jewish people, and it was promised to the Jewish So everything what you can bring to the Jewish people in Jesus is Jewish by its essence. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of natural, but you need to bridge this historic gap mm-hmm. between uh, the Jewish people and their Messiah who became initially gentilish mm-hmm. so to speak for them so just going to a jewish uh, to a jewish person uh, fulfill your great commission uh, according to romans 11 11 to provoke them to jealousy mm-hmm. so make them jealous but make them jealous in a Jew, uh, in a jewish way appreciating the roots uh, uh, of the gospel the roots of uh, the new testament and the roots of the christianity like in the way i'm giving a, uh, an example uh, you talk to a jewish person and you say something like this you know your messiah made me happy mm-hmm. your messiah forgave all my sin mm-hmm. your messiah gave me quality new life that mm-hmm. will never cease your messiah blessed me so so abundantly and i'm i'm just your messiah is the best what i have in this life mm-hmm. do you know your messiah mm-hmm. his name is jesus mm-hmm. so provoke them to jealousy as people mm-hmm. and communicate uh, the jewish uh, nature uh, of the gospel uh, breaching the gap that the church developed with the Jewish people over centuries. Well, there's a whole history of that conversation. There's a whole 
uh, way of uh, of expectations that many Jewish people have when you even evoke the name of Jesus that is a part of that conversation. That's a topic for a completely oh, different absolutely. podcast. There's no way to, to do it and append it to this general overview on, on kind of messianism. So, Vladi, uh, you can consider this an invitation to have you back uh, to discuss that topic in full and, and uh, take a, a, a fuller and richer look at it because I know that one of the important values of the Messianic community is this bridge that it, that, that it forms that allows people to uh, hear and share about the Messiah, although it must be said, and this is important to say, is, is that many Jewish people who are drawn to Christ are often drawn to Christ because of the testimony of, of, a, of a Gentile believer who, exactly. who, 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 who's opened the door for them. Exactly. That's absolutely true. I know many hundreds of Jewish people who became believers in Jesus because of the testimony of their Christian friends. And Christians can reach out to the Jewish people, to their neighbors, friends, and colleagues that no one missionary to the Jewish people can ever do. Hmm. It's a fascinating. That's a whole fascinating discussion all by itself. So we'll we'll definitely uh, regather at some point in the future and, and discuss this. I really appreciate you coming in to talk with us about this. It's a it's a topic that we both share a deep interest in, and have, of course have been involved in messianic ministry for a long time together. And so uh, it's an important conversation. And I thank, thank you for you. taking the time to come in and talk with us. And we thank you for coming and being a part of the table and hearing our discussion. Uh, This is the table where we discuss issues of God and culture, and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.